a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. A uh, holiday-shortened week. As far as the show goes, we'll be with you Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and uh, we will be updating BarryAndArms.com throughout the uh, Thanksgiving weekend, just so you know. But uh, today we're going to be talking about what's going to happen in January uh, when lawmakers will be returning to the uh, state capitals around the country, uh, including in Tennessee, where, you know, uh, Governor Bill Lee had called for an emergency session earlier this year. Democrats wanted all kinds of gun control bills. Uh, I think the governor himself wanted, don't call it a red flag law, but that is, in fact, what he wanted. And, um, yeah, it looks like we're going to have a uh, repeat and perhaps a uh, more substantive repeat of the debate over uh, gun control in Tennessee here in the uh, coming weeks. We'll get to that in just a moment. Before we do, however... Let's talk about this for a second. Biden's America, it's crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. America's working two jobs just to get by. Inflation, pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch. Be next time you go to the grocery store. And the digital dollar can be coming out of the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that is why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. So it does look like um, we are going to be hearing a lot of talk about uh, gun control, certainly in uh, Tennessee, uh, Maine, and uh, New Mexico. I mean, really, uh, Massachusetts, as we've been talking about, the uh, Senate's working on their own gun control bill. There is a lot of gun control proposals coming down the pipeline in 2024. Now, there's some, I think, good bills coming, too. I think uh, Louisiana, uh, now that uh, Jeff Landry has been elected governor, has a very, very good chance of becoming a constitutional or permitless carry state. Bills have already been introduced in South Carolina. You've got a veto-proof majority in the North Carolina legislature. I don't know that they are going to want to make permitless carry a uh, an issue in 2024, but I certainly hope that they do, and gun owners, I think, will be uh, pushing lawmakers to uh, adopt permitless carry in North Carolina as well. Um, And we'll be talking about the good bills that are going to be coming uh, around the country. Uh, We'll focus more on that in a different cam and company. Nashville, Tennessean, with a uh, big story today talking about uh, the fight over guns heads into a new legislative session. And they've identified three major areas where they do expect to have some debate, even given the Democratic or excuse me, the Republican supermajorities. Um, not talking about you know uh, AR-15 bans or bans on so-called large capacity magazines. Uh, looks like the big issue is going to be something again that uh, Governor Bill Lee had called for. He said, "Don't call it a red flag law," but it was a red flag law, and in fact, uh, that is. One of the things that's coming up for discussion, according to the Tennessee and uh, House Majority Leader William Lamberth of Portland, 
supports strengthening involuntary commitment laws over gun control or any red flag laws. He said, uh, quote, red flag laws are ineffective at preventing violence, but keeping dangerous criminals off the streets protects innocent people 100 percent of the time. Now, Republican Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, however, says that he would support an extreme risk protection law, uh, noting the 18-year-old who was shot and killed in New Jersey, or from New Jersey, Belmont College student, shot apparently uh, on accident by somebody who had been previously declared involuntarily, uh, well, uh, mentally incompetent to stand trial on various criminal cases. Lieutenant Governor McNally says uh, that shooting makes it clear that more work needs to be done on public safety saying quote well i have consistently supported a mental health order of protection proposed by the governor uh the idea has not been embraced by other members of my caucus though i remain hopeful it will be one day said mcnally uh, this coming session i think you'll see a continued focus on mental health and not any measure that would restrict the ability of law-abiding citizens to possess a firearm and again, that leaves the door open, right? He would say, well, uh, maybe a red flag law doesn't encompass law-abiding citizens, even though it does. Um, by the very nature, red flag laws are supposed to be used against people who do not have any criminal charges against them. They are filed in civil court. Uh, that's why you're not entitled to a public defender if you can't afford an attorney of your own in the vast majority of red flag states. But again... That might be a distinction without a difference for the uh, lieutenant governor. The Tennessean says uh, Democrats, meanwhile, say they are determined to uh, once again address red flag laws. Senator Jeff Yarbrough, a Democrat from Nashville, said expanding laws to civilly commit more mentally impaired people won't solve the problem. He says we can't simply commit everyone who lacks that mental capacity. This should absolutely open the conversation back up to red flag laws. Talking again about the uh, shooting death of this 18-year-old college student. If you don't have some sort of process to have courts examine a person, remove their guns before they've committed a criminal or a violent act, by definition, you're waiting until they do something violent. Now, again, <laughs> Yarbrough says, look, we just don't have enough beds to house everybody that should be involuntarily committed. So instead, we have to offer this Band-Aid solution, right? We can at least take somebody's guns away if a judge declares them to be dangerous to either themselves or somebody else. Now, of course, we're leaving that dangerous person out there to do dangerous things with something that's not a firearm, right? Or a gun if they can illegally obtain one after their firearms have been removed as part of a red flag order. This is where I just I, I fundamentally disagree with Yarborough here. Now, can we and should we involuntarily commit uh, every individual out there who um, poses a danger to themselves or others? Well, yeah, we should try to. Honestly, I mean, if, if, if that is, again, the standard, that if we leave you alone, we're afraid you're going to hurt somebody, maybe yourself and maybe somebody else, then that person shouldn't be left alone. In the case of the suspect who was accused of killing this 18-year-old college student from New Jersey, he had previously been declared mentally incompetent to stand trial on other criminal charges, including firing shots. Um, he has been uh, determined, according to uh, several mental health workers, to basically have the uh, mental capacity of a four-year-old. And yet, that was not seen as reason to involuntarily commit him. Even though he was accused of violent crimes, 
with the mental capacity of a four-year-old child that wasn't deemed worthy of an involuntary commitment. So I'd say that's the problem. We don't let four-year-olds live on their own. So why would we let somebody with the mental capacity of a four-year-old operate as if they are an adult in a free society, even after, again, they've been determined to be uh, not mentally competent to stand trial on criminal charges? If you're not competent to understand the charges against you, you've got the reasoning and mental capacity of a four-year-old, why shouldn't that result in an involuntary commitment or an involuntary commitment? I don't think there's a really good answer other than, you know what? It costs a lot of money. And we've got a, a inpatient bed shortage. We've got a shortage of mental health counselors, outpatient treatment. That, that Fixing that problem is going to take a lot of cash. Red flag laws, on the other hand, well, you don't need to build new jail cells, right? Because it's civil. You don't need to build new hospital beds because uh, mental health is not really a component of a, a red flag law. Even after somebody's been deemed to be a danger to themselves or others, there's no mental health offered. No services that are provided to that individual. They're told, if you want to get your guns back, you got to show us proof that you've uh, gone to counseling. That you're no longer dangerous to either yourself or others. But again, that help's not provided. It's just, nope, we've said you're dangerous. We're taking your guns away. And uh, huh, we'll see you later, baby. I don't think that solves the problem. It is a... At best, it is a Band-Aid to patch over and hide the uh, necrotic tissue underneath that is the mental health system, not only in Tennessee, but in states across the country. And I think it takes us further away from the solutions that would, again, not only uh, hopefully provide treatment or at least supervision, uh, for these uh, dangerous individuals, but would, in fact, uh, do so without uh, infringing on anybody's constitutional rights. Now, beyond the uh, red flag law or the red flag proposal, uh, Democrats, including Yarborough, are also looking at storage mandates, um, noting the number of firearms that have been stolen from vehicles across the state of Tennessee. Yarborough says he's working on a bill that would uh, close the quote-unquote loophole uh, Oh yeah, for uh, mental incompetence, uh, prevent people who have been found to be mentally incompetent from legally buying a gun. He says he's hoping to find uh, bipartisan support. Um, yeah, we'll get to the uh, storage line in just a second, but that he might actually find bipartisan support. If you've been determined to be mentally incompetent and cannot stand trial, should that act as a, an adjudication? of mental illness. Um, again, under Tennessee law, that determination has to be made by a judge or by a uh, the Board of Health, I believe. So that seems like it would be more doable. Again, it doesn't really address the problem. If somebody has been deemed to be mentally incompetent, they can't stand trial. Ideally, what should happen is they go to a facility where they are restored to competency, and then they can face the criminal charges that have been filed against them. If they cannot be restored to competency, then again, they should be held in a secure facility because of the danger that they pose to themselves or others. So, in theory, 
say, well, I mean, if somebody's been found mentally incompetent, they shouldn't be able to buy a gun. I can I can see the logic there. But the problem is this really doesn't address, again, the underlying issues with the individuals in question. Why would somebody who's been deemed incompetent to stand trial be returned to the streets in the first place? That's the problem. That's where the failure lies. Making this gun-centric, again, makes it about the guns and not about the individual. And the individual is at the heart of the problem. The individual who is dangerous is what needs to be addressed, not our right to keep and bear arms. Uh, so, yeah, um, then we uh, need to talk about the uh, storage mandate. Um, Yarbrough, I think, is in favor of this, but uh, it's actually Caleb Hemmer, a Democrat from Nashville, who is uh, hoping to push a storage mandate. Uh, no real details about the uh, sp- specifics of his legislation, but he is pointing to the number of stolen guns and few arrests. Of 5,386 reported cases of guns stolen from cars statewide in Tennessee last year, less than 4% resulted in an arrest, according to TBI statistics. And of those arrests, even fewer are prosecuted. A report by the Tennessee in this year found that the vast majority of gun theft charges in Davidson County were eventually dropped or dismissed, mostly due to lack of evidence. And so uh, Caleb Harris says, look, I mean, if we're not prosecuting the burglars and the thieves who are breaking into these cars, well, maybe we need to make it a crime to leave your gun in the car so we can prosecute the gun owner who is the victim of a crime. Because I mean, it's easier to find that gun owner than it is the, uh, the gun thief, apparently, right? Since only 4% of these cases result in arrests and even fewer result in prosecutions. You know what you're going to have here, don't you? You're going to have far fewer people reporting their firearms lost or stolen to police. Now, I know that Himmer would follow this up with, well, that's why we need a lost or stolen mandate. That's another charge if you don't report your firearm lost or stolen to police within 24 or 48 or 72 hours, something of that nature. When you start criminalizing being the victim of a crime in order to address somebody else's criminal behavior, you've lost the plot. Now, should people... Bring their guns inside at night. Absolutely. Don't leave your firearm unsecured in a car, whether it's in your, you know, passenger uh, or driver's side door compartment or maybe the center console. It really only takes a few seconds for somebody to smash that window. In some cases, if you leave the car unlocked, just open it up, rifle through, get what they want, take off. But should it be a criminal offense to leave your firearm? in your vehicle, locked in your vehicle, maybe in your driveway. I don't think it should be. Now, again, we're not suing or arresting victims of car theft, right? Even though car thefts itself are are going way up around the country. Why would it be that if only if a gun is stolen, Only if a gun is stolen do you, then as the victim of that crime, become a criminal yourself, depending on how that firearm is stored. Again, the issue here, the bigger issue, are those individuals who feel empowered to break into cars. And why do they feel so emboldened and empowered? Because they have a 96% chance of getting away with it. Actually, better than that. Because you only have a 4% chance of getting arrested. (laughs) 
but an even lesser chance of actually getting prosecuted. So it appears to be, I'm going to say a, a, uh, it's certainly not a victimless crime, but a consequence-free crime. The vast majority of individuals who are engaging in this type of criminal behavior will never, ever face any consequences from the legal system. Now, that's a big problem, isn't it? I would say that's a bigger problem than gun owners who are leaving their firearms behind in their vehicle. If we want to deal with that, let's have a public service campaign. Let's get uh, firearms instructors. Let's get crime victims. Let's get gun owners to, uh, you know, put together a campaign reminding other gun owners, bring your gun inside. It's one thing, again, if you have to leave it, you're, you're out and about during the day, you run across a gun-free zone, you can't leave your, can't bring your carry gun inside, so you have to leave it in your vehicle. That's an issue. And by the way, the fewer gun-free zones we have, the uh, less of an issue that will be. But again, at the end of the day, you've you know, pulled up to your house, you parked in your driveway or your parking space at your apartment complex, just take your gun inside with you. I mean, you know where it is. I don't think it should be a criminal offense to do otherwise, but I still think it's a good idea to do that. Um, so will Democrats be able to get bipartisan support for some sort of bill penalizing crime victims? I sure hope not. Uh, but I think that this is an issue where Republicans could offer some ideas of their own uh, to improve the arrests and prosecution of these individuals, as well as, again, incentivizing and reminding gun owners the responsible thing to do is to know where your gun is. And that means at the end of the day, it's in your house. Um, so, again, no Discussion, at least at this point, of gun bans, magazine bans. I think Democrats certainly want those things in Tennessee. Uh, but they also know the legislative majorities make that really impossible. I'll be curious to see, uh, with next year being an election year, how many of these uh, Democrats outside of the deep blue districts in you know Nashville and, and uh, Memphis in particular, how many Democratic candidates in Tennessee are running on a gun ban, uh, because I expect, you know, I wrote about um, this in the context of Virginia at Bearing Arms last week, and I, I suspect that when Democrats who took back complete control of the legislature this November, I, I expect they're going to lay pretty low on talk of a gun ban next year, locally, because they don't want to rile up gun owners. But I think nationally, Democrats are going to be running on Let's ban these semi-autos. Uh, and it might be as broad as that, by the way. It might even go beyond, let's ban these guns that will arbitrarily label as quote-unquote assault weapons to just let's go after semi-autos. Uh, Biden has certainly uh, tried to make that a centerpiece of his administration. Uh, and I expect, again, that uh, Democrats certainly running at the federal level are going to be uh, broadly promoting the idea of a gun ban, which is going to cause some uh, heartburn and some headaches for gun control activists in red states who would prefer to take a smaller, more incrementalist approach so as to not scare off the voters. But uh, again, that's probably a topic for a uh, different Cam and Company. Right now, though, uh, like I said, keep your eyes on Tennessee. Uh, this is going to be an interesting session, not the only state where we're going to have uh, gun control bills introduced. But uh, 
I would say one of the more interesting uh, states when it comes to the potential for some sort of uh, bipartisan attack on our right to keep and bear arms. Just to put a pin in that, and we'll revisit the topic as we get closer to January. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a uh, case out of, I believe this is uh, Minnesota, but I got to check here, Cassopolis. I always... Always am curious as to uh, Michigan. I said to Minnesota, but uh, Michigan. So, you know, we've been hearing a lot of talk about the um, the seriousness of domestic violence, right? In the Rahimi case, you've got a guy who's uh, accused of violating a domestic violence restraining order by possessing a gun, also accused of a number of, uh, of violent crimes uh, outside of uh, that possession of a firearm under a uh, domestic violence restraining order. And I agree, domestic violence is very serious. The problem, though, with like lowering these standards so that uh, even a civil protective order constitutes a lifetime loss of gun rights is that, in many cases, the legal system doesn't seem to be taking domestic violence very seriously. So, again, from uh, uh, Michigan, Edwardsburg man gets probation for third offense domestic violence. Third time, not the charm here. 42-year-old Derek Mark of Edwardsburg pleaded guilty to third offense domestic violence and was sentenced to two years probation with credit for 172 days served and $1,548 in well, $1, fines and costs. The incident occurred on uh, July the 4th, two years ago, July the 4th, 2021 in Edwardsburg. He was given credit for 126 days served and a total of $1,250 in fines and costs for attempted resisting and obstructing police uh, and attempted fleeing police. The resisting and obstructing incident occurred on July 16th of last year. The uh, fleeing police incident occurred July 1st of last year in Edwardsburg. So, again, three criminal cases, including one case involving domestic violence, is third offense. Probation, probation, probation for every one of those cases. Mark told the judge that he had made false promises when he was in court in the past. But this time, Your Honor, I'm telling the truth. He said, I just don't want to say I'm sorry this time to women, my mother and my daughters. Give me the chance to prove I'm sorry this time. I truly want to get help and make real changes in my life, he said. The uh, judge said, I'll give you credit for time served and probation if you want to turn your life around. But if you don't do it and you stand here and lie to me and you go back to your ways, you're going to prison. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I, I hope not only for Mr. Mark's sake, but for the sake of everyone in his life, that he does turn it around. That he does take responsibility for his actions. That this gift that he has been given will not be squandered. I am not all that optimistic that that will be the case. But again, there's a bigger question here. Um, should a civil domestic violence restraining order result in the lifetime loss of your right to keep and bear arms or even a misdemeanor conviction when the sentence itself is so light as to be a ephemeral third time in court for domestic violence 
two years probation. That doesn't comport with a lifetime loss of gun rights to me. And the issue here, in this case, is not just what should cause somebody to forevermore uh, lose their right to keep and bear arms. And should, in fact, that ever be the case? Or should there be a way to restore those rights at some point in the future? Now, the issue here is simply that the courts and the legal system all too often don't take domestic violence seriously. Thankfully, there are victims and survivors who do. Which brings us to today's Armed Citizen story from Mississippi, Washington. Girlfriend fatally shoots ex-boyfriend as he broke into her house in Issaquah. This was a Friday morning. We didn't have a lot of details uh, to report on, uh, well, I guess we didn't do a show on Friday, so I wouldn't have been able to report this on Friday. But it happened about 10.30 Friday morning, broad daylight, man breaking into his ex-girlfriend's home at an apartment complex in uh, Issaquah. According to a squad police, woman shot the man once, killing him after he allegedly broke into her domicile. Neighbor Trina Friedman told KOMO News, I'm devastated that this kind of violence could happen right here. From now on, I'll be walking the neighborhood with a gun. Well, not a bad idea. Chief Paula Schwan said the shooter called 911 immediately to report what happened has been uh, described as, quote, totally cooperative with investigators. Coalition of Small Police Agencies Major Crimes Task Force now investigating the shooting. Um, again, we don't have a ton of details here, but based on all of the reporting to the scene, it would appear that this was a case of self-defense. Police um, have not announced any charges, and uh, we'll keep our eyes open for any more details. But, you know, a domestic violence restraining order. I'm not saying it's not a good idea to get one. If you are the victim of abuse. But as Nikki Gozer has talked to us before, these orders of protection, they're not suits of armor. They're not made of bulletproof glass. They are designed to allow the law to go after that individual after a violation has taken place. But in order to protect yourself, if a violation is taking place, you're going to need more than a piece of paper. And I'm glad in this case, it sounds like uh, this woman was uh, ready and able to protect herself when her uh, ex tried to come in through the front door or the window of her apartment. Finally today, in the right place, at the right time, we'll unable to do the right thing. A, a good Samaritan and lobsterman in Maine who uh, was in the right place and willing and able to jump into the frigid waters to help a man caught in a, a sinking car, a car that uh, had been reported stolen earlier in the day, by the way. It was a uh, Mustang that apparently uh, went off the road uh, in Portland, Maine, and uh, into the ocean. According to reports, police received a call about an occupied vehicle entering the water. When they got there, they found the Ford Mustang sinking into the ocean. And again, knew that it had been reported earlier that day. Police and fire crews were able to break into the car while it was sinking, but they weren't able to get the 33-year-old driver out of the vehicle. So now you've got open windowed water pouring in. Portland uh, Police Lieutenant Robert Doherty said as the car went below the surface, our concern for that person was incredibly elevated. And that is when Manny Carino stepped in 
A local lobsterman put on his diving gear, jumped into the water without hesitation to help drag the man out of the uh, driver's seat. He says, I went down, I grabbed the guy, I pulled him through the water. He was unresponsive when I pulled him up through the window. Um, He was brought onto a boat owned by the fire department, rescue team, then began performing CPR uh, before the ship even got back to shore. Um, A pulse uh, was, uh, uh, they were able to revive him. Uh, he started breathing on his own, got his pulse. He was then moved to a waiting ambulance and taken to a local hospital where last report he is listed as stable. Again, might possibly be facing some criminal charges for being behind the wheel of a stolen car. Uh, but he is alive and well, thanks to the uh, fast action of Manny Carinos. He said, um, it was automatic. Can't even what to do. He said, I've never been in that circumstance where I had to recover somebody from underwater. He says, I don't know. I guess I'll accept the hero label. <laughs> he says, I'm not one to wear a cape. Just doing what came natural. Well, there are folks out there who would have frozen. There are folks out there who never would have offered to help in the first place. Manny Carinos, not one of those people. In the right place, at the right time. Will it enable to do the right thing to save the life of a stranger? Manny, we thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Marion Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. I'm not sure what the big story of the day will be, but uh, we'll be kicking it around. And of course, be sure to check out BarionArms.com throughout the day. We're covering the latest Second Amendment news and information as it happens. If you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As always, saying thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. New stories and analysis that matter. Just like your support. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe. And be free. Be free.